Welcome to Experience Junkies. On this show, I bring together meeting and event professionals, global travelers, jet setters, and more to relive the moments we never want to forget. More importantly, we'll attempt as best we can to transport listeners to transformational points in our lives, sharing our observations and emotions behind these stories. By diving into the indelible impact these experiences have had on us, we decode small takeaways about how to be better humans than we were yesterday. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Experience Junkies podcast. I am your host, Deanna, and welcome to 2022. Uh, This show, this episode, is probably the shortest window between recording an episode and actually publishing it. Previously, all the other episodes in the season were recorded in uh, a month in 2021 and were published on a bi-weekly basis. This episode, I purposely waited until now to record it because I'm going to talk about a trip I took with my family in December, the end of 2021. So we're all going to talk about all about this trip I took. Uh, let's talk about some intergenerational travel. And this episode is uh, special. It is the season one finale of Experience Junkies. We're going to take a brief pause before we come back with new content and new Uh, guests in season two. But also I'm going to do things slightly different for this episode. I'm going to present it to you in a list style, if you will. So today's episode is all about my top 10 takeaways after an intergenerational trip with a family of nine. So stay tuned. We're going to dive right in. Like I said, today is a special episode. It's the season one finale. Before I dive into today's conversation with myself, First of all, I want to thank all of the listeners. I want to thank all of the guests that I've had on the show. Uh, I really appreciate the support and the love. It just is so meaningful to me that I have this little pet project that people are actually listening to and sharing with others. And I really appreciate uh, the participation, the feedback, and the love. So first things first, thank you to all of you. Now, I talked about uh, in the intro that this is all about intergenerational travel. So uh, my family have been on, this is now our second, what I would call big trip together. Um, We traveled a little bit uh, as a family unit uh, growing up, but it was usually to visit other family members. So I've got an aunt uh, that lives in Nashville or outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And so we would drive down there usually once a year. Um, And it was fun. Don't get me wrong, but it's different. It's just, you know, going to visit family as opposed to going to a destination for a vacation. So we did a lot of that growing up. Um, By the time we really started doing family, quote unquote, family vacations, um, I was the only kid in the house. My older brothers, um, two of them were with their mom and my other brother was an adult and he was in the military and he really wasn't around. So we didn't really start doing like nice family trips till I would say I was about 12, 13 and up. So junior high, high school. And so it would usually just be my parents and me because I was the youngest. So fast forward a couple decades Now me and my brothers have kids. Um, My oldest nephew is 24 and has a son of his own. Uh, My oldest niece is 20, she's 21. She actually turned 21 while we were on this trip. And so it's kind of wild to see that not only now we're raising our families, but they're starting to, you know, 
step out into adulthood on their own. And so this trip um, was really interesting. So let me rewind for a bit. In 2019 was the first time we did like a big family vacation. And when I say big family vacation, it was 19 of us. <laughs> okay, it was huge. So all in t all told, who was on the trip? It was my two parents, me and my two children. I have two daughters. And then my brother and sister-in-law and two of their three children. And then my sister-in-law's family joined us as well. So her parents, and they have custody of two uh, uh, minors, and her brother and his wife and their three kids. So like I said, it was a big group of us. And where did we go? We went to the fabulous world of Walt Disney World. It was great. Um, this was actually in December of 2019. So I'm so glad that we planned this trip and we did it because there's no way we would have done it in 2020. We wouldn't have done it in 2021. We probably still wouldn't do it now, to be completely frank. It's just traveling now is quote unquote a nightmare. <laughs> I won't want to be that dramatic. It's just much harder than normal situations, especially if you put any international um, kind of travel into the mix. So we did that trip in 2019 and it was great. We had a great time. I mean, it's crazy when you have that many people, you're at a theme park. We went at Christmas, so it's literally the most packed time of year um, at Walt Disney World, um, but it was a great experience. We have so many memories from that trip. My mom makes photo books of everything. So of course she's got photo books from that trip. And um, we said we wanted to keep doing this because it just was a really good experience. Um, and we wanted to give that to our kids, you know, the memories that they're creating with their grandparents, their cousins. And because I will also mention, we all lived out of state. So at the time I was in Ohio, my brother and his family is in Missouri and um, his, his wife's family is in Missouri and my parents are in North Carolina. So that's part of the impetus about this is just not just getting together as a family, but like, hey, let's go do something as a family together because we don't live in the same location anymore. Um, so fast forward to 2021. My children, I think I've mentioned this on the show a time or two, currently live uh, with their father who is stationed in a foreign country. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't give out too much information because I do want to protect some privacy for people who have opted not to participate in my personal pet project. But um, they currently live with their father and um, they're overseas. It's a two year uh, trip, if you will, a two year hiatus from being a, a full time mom. I'm still their mom, but I'm not uh, involved in the day to day momhood. And um, this was my year for Christmas with my kids. So in, in terms of our parenting agreement, they spend every other Christmas with, you know, we swap Christmas every year. And I had told my family, I am going to insert country to see my kids um, for Christmas. Do you want to come? It was just like an open invitation. Now, when I first mentioned it, it was before the pandemic. And then, of course, during the pandemic, we're like, I don't know if that's going to happen just because of everything going on. Um, and so fast forward to early 2021. Now we're having vaccines. Things are starting to look a little bit more um, possible. And so we went ahead and booked it with, a, with the thought, if we have to cancel, we have to cancel. But at least if we can try to go, let's try to go. And I'm so glad we did that because we were able to go. Um, and we went to Europe. 
and it, it was kind of touch and go because you know things were really heating up with Omicron at the time and um, there was kind of a lot of fear. I was actually surprised that um, we were still able to make the trip considering um, we've got some people with um, compromised health and just very, very concerned about this virus. And so I thought that some of them might want to pull out the last minute and then the trip will kind of fall apart. But no, everyone was committed. We did it. We did it safely. We came back safely. And so, yeah, I can now tell you the tale of our big trip to Europe <laughs> uh, just a few weeks ago to spend Christmas with my children. So like I said, this episode's gonna be a little bit different. I'm going to present it as my as a list, if you will. And so I'm gonna give you my top 10 takeaways of just intergenerational travel in, in uh, you know, from a high level standpoint in general. Um, and uh, if you wanna have, take some tips or some useful ideas, or if you wanna plan something like this with your family, have at it. Uh, I would love to hear people's comments in, uh, to the show, what your thoughts are, and if you've ever done like a big trip with your family, and if you agree with some of the takeaway points. So let's get into it. My top 10 takeaways that I've learned from intergenerational travel. Number one, I find that, th that this is kind of a umbrella over really all travel, whether it's for business, it's for pleasure, it's solo, it's with groups. There's, this is to me, it's just been a common denominator across the board. And that's that there's three phases of every trip, right? There's three phases. And I think the number of the first phase is just the excitement, the anticipation. You're looking forward to either exploring a new place or you're going to a new conference or you're going to meet people, whatever you're going to um, experience in that destination where you're going, you're looking forward to it, right? It's just kind of this... You got bubbles in your, butterflies in your stomach, you know, you know, your heart's beating a, a little bit faster because your, your body is just in anticipation for the fun or what you're going to do. Um, and then two, to be honest, just travel in general can be a little emotionally jarring just because you're out of your element, you're in new uh, environments, there's a lot of people around, it's a lot of sense, it's very high sensory overload. Um, so I think that's part of it. Like it definitely plays into kind of like that nervous anxiety, which can be positive. It can be negative. Um, but that's definitely stage one. You're just excited. You're looking forward. You've got the anticipation. Stage two, I would say is frustration. <laughs> um, at some point in every trip, this is just life really, if I'm being really honest, but at some point in every trip, you get to the point where you're just frustrated. Um, you're frustrated about the people you're with. You're frustrated that the experience that you planned isn't what you met, isn't meeting your expectations. You're frustrated about maybe there's some customer service aspects. You know, you had issues with your travel, your luggage was lost, you were delayed, the hotel lost your reservation, you had to move, whatever. There's some type of situation that provides frustration. Um, I will say during this trip for us, <laughs> there was a point that brought some frustration. So driving in Europe is pretty interesting. I want no parts of it ever. When I travel, really when I travel in general, I don't wanna drive. I don't like driving outside of my day-to-day -day life. Um, that's just me. 
but definitely not in foreign countries because you're dealing with different languages, different road laws, and different just cultural norms about driving. And so I am not a fan of it. However, because of where we were staying, we weren't really in a very walkable city. We really kind of needed a car. We really did. And so fortunately, my dad and my brother were the uh, uh, designated drivers for the two weeks we were there. Bless them, because I don't know that I would have done as well as they did in those circumstances. So anyways, um, what we had a lot of challenges with was parking. Um, because if, if there wasn't a lot of parking lots, if you will, and it wasn't necessarily that we were in a really big metropolitan area. We were out on the outskirts of a, I would say a medium sized city. Um, so we were really more kind of um, in the suburbs. They don't really have the suburbs there, but for lack of a better word. And um, what we found is just parking was really hard to come by. So yes, there's street parking, but there would also be like underground garages. And so we went to eat at a restaurant and me and my dad, uh, we dropped off my mom and the kids so we could look for parking. And um, we found this garage and it said it had a big P and that's a different language, but we knew it was a public parking garage. Um, so then we enter and the way it went, because it was underground, you go down and the door, uh, it's like an electronic door that opens and closes. So to get enter and exit, there's this big doors. It's not like um, garages that have the gates that rise and lift. I don't know if, if, if you're listening to the audio version, please hop over to YouTube so you can see my physical movements as I'm trying to describe this. But anyways, so we get into the parking garage. We couldn't really find a place where to get a ticket or to pay a ticket. And that should have been clue number one to hightail it out of there. Um, we, but then we see people coming and going. So we're thinking, okay, we'll be able to get out. We'll figure it out. Well, fast forward to after we've eaten, we realize that we cannot get back into this garage. It's locked. There's no attendant. There's nothing. So apparently it used to be a public parking lot or parking garage, but it now is just for, um, I don't know if it's for residents or people that own businesses, but people that have like key fobs to access it. We didn't know that. So we basically had to sit for about, it felt like 25 minutes. It was probably like eight, nine minutes, but it felt like a long time. We had to wait for someone to come out. And then it was just such a, a, a scuffle because there was two entrances. So I sent my dad to the one and my kids were following him. And then my mom was like, well, don't let the kids walk by themselves. They need to be with an adult. And we just kind of like at each other. And it was frustration right? Just the pinnacle of, um, ultimately we were able to get the car out clearly, but it just, it was just one of those moments where you're just like, Oh, I hate everyone. I hate everything. <laughs> I find that that happens in every trip. Like that is a, um, certainty. It's not a matter of if, but when, so that's phase two. So phase one is like the excitement, the anticipation. Phase two is that frustration. And it can be a moment. It can be an, you know, altercation with someone, whatever. And it kind of leads to me to phase three. And phase three is when you're just like, I want to go home. I want to go home. And this arc sounds really bad. And I didn't mean it to, to come off so negative, but 
I don't know. I just find that it's a consistent part. I love traveling. I love going new places and meeting new people. But I find that all these three points hit every time I take a trip. You get to the point, you want to go home. You want to be in your own bed. You want to shower in your own bathroom. You want to not live out of a suitcase. Now, you know, there may be some digital nomads out there that are listening to me and you may not really resonate with those feelings. Totally understood. But for me, um, at a certain point, I don't want to be living out of a suitcase. I don't want to be in someone else's home, like an Airbnb. I don't want to be in a hotel. I want to be in my bed. I want to have my things and I want to be comfortable. And so that's, I've learned this on intergenerational travel. I've learned this on solo travel, business travel, personal travel. Any trip I've taken has had those three phases, excitement, frustration, and get me the hell out of there. <laughs> so that's takeaway number one, is there's three phrases to every trip. Takeaway number two, um, when you are traveling in intergenerational groups, um, you've got a variety of ages and abilities. And again, this isn't necessarily just for family travel, it really is just group travel, large group. Um, you have to keep in mind what the group can handle physically. Um, so we had um, a range in ages from age nine to 67, is that right? Yeah, 67. So we, yeah, we had a wide range of ages from 60, from age nine to 67. Um, we've got people that have food allergies. We've got people with the medical issues that kind of affect their energy levels. Some people have better physical fitness and can walk for a long time. Others cannot. You've got children who like after walking for 20 minutes, I'm tired. So you have to keep this in mind as you're planning this trip and as you're planning outings and what you're going to do for the day is, okay, what can the least physical able person do? And what's like a compromise between what the most physically able person can do? Where can we meet in the middle? What's something that can kind of hit some points for all? You're not going to make everyone happy all the time, but from this standpoint, from people's physical abilities and, you know, you have to consider anything that's going to be impacted. Um, I also feel that this way for when you're traveling with young, young children and then you're dealing with strollers, when you're traveling with elderly and you're dealing with wheelchairs, you're traveling with people with physical ailments that they've got, um, they need accommodation. You have to keep that in mind as you're planning those activities. Um, and it may even be depending on the trip you're planning sometimes, okay, like if you're someone who's an adventure trip person and you want to go, uh, um, skydive or you want to, I don't know, hike the Himalayas, whatever those types of things. Well, obviously it's not that all those things are impossible for people with different abilities. Um, but it definitely poses a challenge and you have to go into it thinking, okay, how can we create this in a way that everyone who's on the trip can take part in it. And so that's my biggest um, takeaway there is just you're constantly keeping in mind what is everyone able to do? If you are if you have any type of courtesy, some people might not be thinking about it, but you should think about the fact that you've got a variety of ages and abilities and you have to keep in mind what people physically can tolerate, not just um, what people's likes and dislikes and things of like that nature. So that's takeaway number two, traveling with a big group, you have to accommodate a lot of different abilities. Um, and along with that, 
uh, I would say takeaway number three, you traveling in big groups involves a lot of waiting. You are waiting for people to get ready in the morning. So, you know, everyone's waiting in the living room while someone's finishing in the bathroom. Okay, now we're going to go head out for the day. We're walking around. We're seeing some things. Some people want to stop and shop. So we're waiting for them in that store. And then they come out and then we see pictures. So other people in the group want to take pictures. And then they come out and other people want to eat. Like you're always waiting because maybe three people in the group want to do X, Y, Z thing. And the rest of the group is waiting for them to finish that so we can all move on to the next thing. So you have to pack your patience. You have to understand there will be points where you are waiting. It's not a solo trip. You have to keep that in mind. Um, It's a lot of just waiting. Like I said, we went to Disney World in 2019 with 19 people. So it's not just the waiting for the group to figure things out. You're also waiting in lines for activities. You're waiting for people. Maybe when you're doing the rides, you can only get half of the group on on the ride at one time. So the other group is waiting for the other half to come off. Like it's just, it takes a lot of waiting. So also you want to incorporate that with your planning. Like tight timelines with big groups is really a no-go. It's a no-go. You're setting yourself up for failure and frustration. Like I said, you're setting some type of situation is going to occur that is going to really impact people's um, patience, their irritability levels, their ability to remain calm in situations. So I recommend if you're traveling in a big group that you maybe have one or two things planned a day and have lots of gap space for nothing. Or for if we find something else we want to do, you know, you just have to have a lot of flexibility because traveling in a big group involves a lot of waiting. So that is takeaway number three. On to takeaway number four, my top 10 takeaways from intergenerational travel. Number four, Um, when you are packing to go on a trip with family members, um, Something that everyone takes with them that we're not aware of is you take your personalities, you take any ongoing arguments, um, you take any past scuffles or past, you know, grudges and things. Those all come on the trip with you. <laughs> so there's you have to, to account for the fact that um, the interpersonal communication, the dynamic of your group it doesn't leave the moment you step into a new environment. It comes with you. Absolutely. So, um, you know, the same arguments that you may have at home, you probably will have in a different uh, location. Um, the same types of situations that lead people to butt heads, they will rise on that trip as well. So I think it's interesting because I think sometimes when you're planning a trip, you just think about how idyllic it will be and how happy we'll all be on that trip and it's gonna be a great time. And then when these situations arise, sometimes we're caught off guard, but it's like, why should you be caught off guard? You know, sibling A and sibling B always have rivalry over XYZ situation. So it just presented itself in a different location. <laughs> it's not like because you're on this vacation, those things are, are, are going to pass. I think any married couple can attest to that. 
Um, my parents, um, they used to travel a lot for their anniversary. And then there became a point where they kind of took a hiatus on that because without fail, they would have a big argument on these anniversary trips. And it was like, we're supposed to be going to celebrate another year of marriage and we're coming home just like furious at each other. Um, they've gotten a lot better. I mean, they've been married 41 years now, so they're pros. But, you know, though, whatever you take with you, whatever personality traits, whatever uh, grudges, whatever um, family hostilities or anything like that, you take it with you. So keep that in mind if there's anyone that is, is a toxic relationship or you, you know, it's kind of rocky, that's coming on the trip with you. So plan for it or try to avoid the person. I don't know. Good luck. <laughs> so that's takeaway number four, your personalities, your grudges, your you know, all of the little quirks that make you a family and make you who you are, they come on the trip too. They come along with your suit, your luggage. Um, on to number five, which I think really dovetails a lot out of that one. It's a challenge when you're traveling in a group and those altercations arise and you're in a hotel. You don't have separate bedrooms to go to. You don't have places to spread out and, you know, kind of cool off. That is hard. Um, if someone is irritating you, they've got on your nerves, and you have to share a 20 by 10 foot room with them. You, you, there's no space to like get away. Um, sometimes you've got to find it. Some It might mean taking a walk down to the lobby. It might mean um, going across the street to just get a drink, get a glass of wine or something, calm yourself down. Um, fortunately, we didn't have anything that was too you know, big. I will say there was a particular, um, uh, meal. I think we were out for, we were out for dinner and I will not name this other family member. I and this other family member, we kind of had a, it started as just kind of like a joking conversation. It kind of became, you know, a heated exchange, if you will. And that person removed themselves from the table and walked away to call, to cool off. And then I kind of cooled off too. And, and then I went over and I apologized. But sometimes you just have to find a way to remove yourself from the situation. It's difficult when you're traveling to give yourself um, cool off space or just time to separate yourself from the group to just process things that might be bothering you. Um, so sometimes you might want to intentionally get up a little earlier so that you have time to yourself to center yourself. You might want to stay up a little later than the group. You might want to purposely opt out of group activities to like plan solo time where you're just in the room. It might not even be that you're doing anything fun, but you just need to be away from the group. I think for the introverts of the world, that would be my pro tip to you is to plan time for you to be alone so that you can recharge because um not everyone in our group was an extrovert we've got a lot in our family but there's definitely some introverts my daughter is definitely one of them she got an ipad for christmas and she got it because she wanted to use procreate and start learning some drawing tools and my goodness once we got back to the room she was back in the bedroom on her ipad because she wanted to draw um, and so there were times, several times we had to like pull her out, like come be with the group, but she's an introvert. And I think for her, that was time that she needed to recharge. So takeaway number five is if you are an introvert or just for anyone, you may want to plan time away from the group to recharge. 
um, to just to be have some alone time um, or if there are any kind of heated exchanges make sure you have a safe space to go to just cool off so you might want to scout that out in advance if you can so that's takeaway number five from intergenerational travel tips number six um, this is kind of just like more of a planning thing. So for all the people who are the trip planners of the group, um, I will say that we didn't do the best job of planning. The, the other group members might disagree, but this is coming from an event planner, seasoned traveler perspective. This is my takeaway. And the reason I say that is what we would do is what we did as a family before we left to go to Europe, we looked at. Um, we all kind of compiled some ideas of things we wanted to do while we were there. And we had, we actually had a, call, a conference call to kind of scope out and plan for the day. Okay, this day we'll do this. This day we'll do that. You know, Saturday we'll do this. Um, but what I realized is we created general plans, right? Okay, so we created general plans that we wanted to go to the bio park on Sunday. We didn't look at what time do they open? What time do they close? What's the cost to get in? Where's parking? Um, how do we get there? Like the actual logistics of doing those things. And so I would say that it would probably be good to have, once you have a general idea of your week or your time, to have some one person in charge of the logistics each day. Not just, and not just, okay, we went to the bio park. Excuse me. We went to the, it's a zoo. Um, we went to the zoo. We saw the animals. But where are we going to eat after that? Okay. And where is it in relation to the zoo? Where's parking? Okay. After we go out to eat, are we going to go back to the hotel? Or are we going to walk around? There's some shops nearby. That's what I mean in terms of like planning the day. Where, you know, when are we going to have our meal breaks? Where are we going to use the restroom? Okay. If we're shopping, and we're not near the car what do we do with all of our bags like the logistics side of it again i'm an event planner so my mind goes there that's the thing that i felt like we could have done better at because every morning we we're like okay we said we're going to go to um these little towns outside the city but which one are we going to go to how far is it what are the directions um what are we going to do, do when we get into that city we had very general plans but we didn't have the specific logistics to do a b and c so I'd recommend maybe putting a person in charge of, okay, if we're going to do X activity on Sunday, sibling X, you're in charge of planning the logistics of the day, parking costs, what time are we leaving in the morning? How do we get there? The directions from the people that are driving, where are we going to eat? All those nitty gritty details. I think it would have been better because what would happen, the reason I mentioned that, I feel like we didn't do a good job of this. We would have these general ideas and then every night we're like, okay, well, what time are we getting up in the morning and where are we going? And it was like we were planning a trip every night and then every morning. Then when we would get out and about, well, okay, where are we going to eat? Well, what time are we going to eat? Well, so-and-so has food allergies, so we have to keep that in mind. That's what I mean. Like we're doing this in the middle of these excursions and I think it took away from our ability to enjoy them because we were constantly in planning mode. So that would be my takeaway. Number six, I think I'm on number six, I'm trying to keep track. Um, number seven, takeaway number seven of intergenerational travel. It is really a blessing to give these memories to my children. 
my grandparents were present. They absolutely were present. However, it looked differently for 80s and 90s kids by and large. Yeah, you know, I'm sure there are some exceptions to the rule, but in general, um, my grandparents were older. My grandparents, well, kind of. But they also, my grandmothers worked. Um, my mom's mother worked until she was in her early, she was about early 70s. And she only stopped working because she physically wasn't able to anymore. She had some health complications and she had to stop working. My grandmother on my father's side, she worked part-time. She was a, um, she was a visiting nurse. So she would, there was a couple of times I actually went to work with her, but she would go and, you know, take care of those who were elderly and, or those who just had, you know, a medical issue and they needed some at-home care. So they were working. So because of that, they weren't able to be as present in the day-to-day -day life, as you will, as my parents have been for um, my children and my brother's children. Um, my mother babysat my oldest daughter when she was first born. So for her first year, her grandmother was her babysitter. We've lived with my parents a couple times um, in transition. And they've gotten such hands-on memories with their grandparents. So now they have these two uh, awesome family vacations where they're getting like tons of, of um, quality time. And it's interesting because my brother's kids, they're military brats. So they really haven't been around. They would come, you know, on holidays and, you know, our family would go out and visit them maybe once a year if we could. But, um... So my oldest niece, she has this little bit of a, a rivalry, if you will, with my oldest daughter because, you know, who is granddad's favorite granddaughter, right? And so, oh, it was the cutest thing when we were in Disney in 2019 because, you know, my daughter, she was oblivious that this was a thing. And then once she realized that there was a little bit of jealousy from her cousin, oh, she, <laughs> she poured it on thick. Oh, granddad, uh, I love you so much, granddad. Aren't, aren't I the best granddaughter? And always cuddling with him. And then she'd be like, Ty, Ty, do you see what's going on? And it was just hilarious seeing them have this little like cousin rivalry. Um, and, and so it's just such a blessing to give that to your children, these memories that they're going to take with them. But then also for us to create these um, participation moments of with uh, the full family dynamic. You know, you've got the matriarch and patriarch of the family. You've got our generation who are raising our families. And then you've got our children who are kind of like the future of our family. And so seeing those dynamics play out in these uh, environments. It's just a blessing. So if you have the ability, even if it's just an out of state trip to do something with multiple generations, like now my biggest regret is I wasn't really able to do that with my grandparents. We traveled once when my brother got married, he got married out of state. And so both my grandmothers came to, uh, the, the wedding. So we traveled there. Um, an uncle died in, um, Tennessee and so I flew with my grandmother just because she needed medical assistance uh, on the flight and so but outside of that I don't really remember vacations with my grandparents um, and there was a couple I will take it back there was a couple um, family reunions um, in Alabama with my dad's side of the family but yes outside of that we don't have we didn't have like vacations so if you have 
the capability of doing a trip, whether it's, you know, in your own state, um, if it's, you know, a couple hours drive away, it's just overnight, whatever, just try and find those times to create those moments because the older generation really draws a lot of energy from the, excuse me, the young ones and the young ones, um, get so much wisdom and lessons and, um, stories about their past and their ancestors. And so I just think that interchange between the bookends, you know, our oldest generations and our youngest generations is really, really important because that's what's going to pass the family heritage on and keep it going. So, um, not to get too emotional, but I, th- I think that's the best part of this is just the dynamic between the older and the youngest of our group, just really having these relationships being cemented. All right, so on to uh, the next uh, takeaway, if you will. I think we're on takeaway number nine. You have to accept when you're in a big group, for sure, with your with your family, there will be things that you leave undone at the end. Um, and I think because of that, you have to be purposeful about the things you absolutely want to do. What are your must-haves? What are your need-to-do? For example, we were in a location that is known for their Christmas lights. Beautiful Christmas lights all through the town. People travel, you know, cross-country lines from outside of the continent to see the lights here. Like, they're known for it. And unfortunately, we did not spend one night looking at the lights. I thought that we would. Um, the first few days we were there, it was really rainy. So we didn't want to do outdoor outdoor activities just because we don't want to be in the rain. Um, and then the second week is when my brother and his family arrived. And so that's actually when we had like mapped out activities every day. It kind of goes back to my takeaway about not planning out the days better. Because we, like I said, we lived, we were staying about 30 minutes outside of the big city. And if you're spending all day in the city doing things, by about five o'clock, you're ready to go back to the room, put your feet up, relax, and it doesn't get dark until 6.30 or so. So if we had done some better planning, if we'd been purposeful, we could have made sure that we were, maybe that was the day that we went out a little later. We didn't go out till afternoon so that we would be out when the uh, lights were turned on and we could actually spend an hour or so walking around looking at them or even driving around the city in the car. But we were usually leaving the city every day by 5.30 because we were tired. We'd been doing things all day. So um It wasn't a must do on my list, but on the end, I realized it should have been because I was so disappointed that we were in this place renowned for its Christmas lights and we didn't see the Christmas lights. So with that being said, I had to be okay with just letting it go. It wasn't going to, wasn't meant to be, it is what it is. Um, But I would in the future, make sure I have those things on my list of the things I absolutely want to do. And so uh, along with that, Uh, My last takeaway kind of, again, dovetails off of that, number 10, is find ways to enjoy the everyday beauty around you, Um, the everyday beauty against the mundane. So on the last day of the trip, I actually had to exchange my children and get them back to their father. So I had to take a couple trains to a nearby city and, um, you know, that's kind of an emotional exchange. You know, you haven't seen your kids for six months and now you know you're about to go another six months without seeing them. Excuse me. 
you haven't seen your kids for about six months, you know, it's going to be another six months or so without seeing them. And so, um, I could have gotten kind of hung up on the fact that I'm waiting on this train and, and I'm sad. I miss my kids, but instead, um, I had about an hour wait until the next train would board. I knew I wanted to get a new backdrop for my studio space, which you can see behind me for those who are watching the video on YouTube. And um, while I was in this this country, I said, I should see if I can find some fabric that I can use as a, as a backdrop. So instead of using that one hour to just sit and be bored and sad, I was like, I'm gonna find some fabric for my backdrop. And I walked around the city. It's, it was a really walkable little town, if you will. It's not even a city. And lo and behold, I found a fabric store. Beautiful. This is just one of the two fabrics that I got that you can see behind me. Um, but I was purposeful in finding a way to enjoy that one hour I had in this little town. And not only that, I found my fabric. I'm so happy. I get back to the train station and I still had about a 20, 15, 20 minute wait before the train got there. And then I was so excited that I found this fabric, but then I also sat down while waiting on the train and I took some pictures because the train station was just so beautiful. I mean, it's probably some old historic building that they've refit as now this train station. And it was just, if I had just allowed myself to, to just, mm -hmm, okay, next on the trip, I gotta wait for this train. I could have missed that. I could have missed the opportunity to get that fabric. I could have missed the opportunity to really take in the beautiful tile work of this train station. And um, yeah, that's that's definitely a takeaway that I've gotten from travel is just to try to find a way to enjoy the everyday beauty amongst the mundane. And that's really the energy that I wanna take into 2022. And I would challenge those of you who are listening if you can find ways to enjoy the beautiful against the mundane, find ways to harness it, find it, and really embrace it. Um, that's my charge to you. So I hope you've enjoyed my top 10 takeaways of intergenerational travel. And again, this is the season one finale of Experience Junkies. Thank you so much to all of you who have listened, commented, shared, liked. Please continue to share it with your network. I appreciate you. Uh, if you're interested in being a season two guest, send me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram. And uh, with that, that's a wrap on season one of the show. Thank you and have a great 2022. So did you catch it? I totally skipped over one of my top 10 takeaways. That is what I get for not numbering them and I totally missed it when I was looking at my notes earlier. However, here is the 10th <laughs> and final takeaway of intergenerational travel. I learned that I really do value solo travel um, because while you are traveling in groups, it's great. You've got the interpersonal dynamics and you've got shared memories and shared experiences. You cannot control the trip. You cannot dictate what you want the trip to be. And that's fine. However, it gave me a greater appreciation for those opportunities of solo travel where I can dictate where I wanna go, where I wanna be, how long I wanna be there, if I wanna linger at a store, if I wanna linger on the beach, or if I wanna spend the entire day in the room. You have full autonomy and control over all of your decisions 
when you travel alone. And so the funny thing is I started this uh, podcast and this season one talking about my solo adventure in Mexico. And so now I'm wrapping the series of season one, if you will, talking about my love for solo travel. So I think it's really interesting how we come from a circle. And I think it is a perfect way to not only end this episode, but end this season to check in with yourself, see if there are some self experiences or solo experiences you can seek out in the world and enjoy them. Enjoy uh, time alone doing the things that you love and the things that you enjoy. And with that, I'm officially signing off from season one of the Experience Junkies podcast. Bye.